0: be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you.
1: Thank you, Dave, and uh, good, morning. good morning. All right. Everybody is bright-eyed for the most part. Um, so social justice, um, you know... I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter where I go today, the word social justice is out there. Um, Whether it's in business, whether it's in politics, whether it's at school, Um, You can find it just about everywhere. Um, Some other places that you may not know they have. Did you know we have a World Day of Justice now? It's declared every February. We have a day where they say worldwide, let's just do a Day of Justice. Um, If you go to universities, almost every major university now that I could find has some kind of center for social justice or a program now for people that study this idea of social justice. Um, we have talk shows that love to talk about it. We have mission organizations that are dedicated to it. We have nonprofits. We have every world religion that you can imagine is doing social justice in some way. It has become just a hot topic. And so as I've thought about this and as I've just been thinking through this idea of social justice, the question has come to mind is, is this. How, as the church, is our social justice supposed to be different than that of the world? If it's everywhere we go, and if it's a topic that's not just happening within the walls of the church, then at some point we have to be separate, we have to be different than the world in the way that we we treat social justice. And you know, when we bring up the word social justice within the church, um, it depends on which church you're with and who you're with and where they come from and where they've heard that word, whether or not you get asked to leave or you get to stick around. Um, And in 10 years of of really trying to bring uh, light to what God's Word says, um, it is amazing to see people's take whenever they find out what I do. Um, And they kind of look at it sometimes and think, ah, yeah, there's one of those liberal hippies, and he's just going to be telling us not to, to get away from the gospel and all of that. And then other times, they understand what God's Word is all about and really that it is supposed to be different than what the world defines it. But before we get started in really looking at how we are different, I think it's important for us to look and see what the world says. And so I I wanted to come up with a definition to kind of look and see what the world says. And so the best definition I could find this week was this. The term social justice implies fairness and mutual obligation in society. That we are responsible for one another and that we should ensure that all have equal chances to succeed in life. I think all of us would look at that and say, okay, you know what? I, I I can get behind that. I can say, hey, that's a pretty good idea. But everybody in the world says the same thing. Everyone that's speaking social justice, for the most part, would agree with that statement. And so the question is, how do we, how do we differ? How do we look different? The one thing that I can pull from that that I would, just, I would say more than anything as I read Scripture, God says over and over, and that is that it says that we are responsible for one another. Social justice, when you get down to it more than anything else, is really just about relationships. And if we take the relationship piece out of it, it becomes nothing but just programs. It becomes nothing more than just handouts. It becomes nothing more than just hoping that some good is done out of it. But when relationships are at the core, the Bible tells us that's when lives are changed. That's when there's true life change. And so as we move forward, we're going to look at what the Bible says about justice, but then we're also going to look at it and say, okay, how are we different because a lot of the things the Bible says about social justice, those that are fighting for social justice in other realms would agree with. They may take God out of it, but they would, they would agree with the simple fact that they say, yes, that's what we should be about. And even some of them would say, yeah, God was a great. You know, he was right. Jesus was a good person. And so when we look at that, the idea of social justice in the Bible is something that I think a lot of people can agree with. But then there's some things in the Bible that it tells us we are to be different in. And that's the part where I think we, we really can see transformation happen. And so, let's jump in and look at what the Bible says about social justice. The first thing that we know about social justice is this, that justice has a model and it's God. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 19, it says this, For the Lord your God is, your, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Here's what we find out. God cares for all people. He is our model of justice. Sending his son to die for us is the ultimate sign of justice. God passionately wants justice for all. So we cannot go any further with justice unless we agree that God is our model when it comes to justice in this world. And that is first and foremost. The second thing that we find out is that justice seeks the oppressed. Isaiah 1.17 tells us this. It says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. We have to keep our eyes open. We have to seek justice the oppressed. It's not just going to come across our path every day. If we just live our life normally in our circles and the people that are around us, most of them are like us, we're going to see some instances of justice or we may see somebody like myself that comes and talks to us at church or we may see it just in a, a commercial that we see or we talk to somebody. But when we seek it out, we find it in so many areas, so close to home and far away, And God will then allow his spirit to enter our heart, and he will say, here's the one I want you to get behind. Here's the one I want you to touch today. This is what I want you to do. Because when we seek it, we find it. Because it's all around us, and God wants us to be aware. He doesn't want us to sit ignorant. He doesn't want us to sit by and just hope that it shows up in our life. He wants us to seek it. The next thing we find, justice is kindness, And mercy, Zechariah 7, 9 and 10 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Justice is kindness and mercy. And if we are not living it with kindness and mercy, then we will find that we withhold it from certain people or groups or things because we may think they don't deserve it. Or we may look at it and think, man, how many times do I have to show justice? How many times do I have to help you? But you see, when kindness and mercy drives the justice in our world, all of a sudden now it doesn't matter. All you got to do is look to the cross to see kindness and mercy flooded all over us. We, none of us deserved it. But yet God said, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make sure that you have every opportunity to succeed through death. He made sure that we had that opportunity, and it was kindness and mercy for all, and he had withheld it from no one that believes in him. And so kindness and mercy must be a part of justice. The next thing, and for me, quite honestly, this is the hardest one. I'm an introvert at heart, and I struggle with this more than anything, and that is that justice has, or justice requires a voice. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, it says this, "'Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute.'" Open your mouth to judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We must speak up for justice. We must speak up for the poor. We must speak up for the fatherless. We must speak up for those that are being wronged. We must open our mouths and speak. Because if no one does, they're just going to continue to live in the injustice that we find. We can't stay quiet when we see it happening in front of us. Or we can't just stay quiet and walk by it saying, okay, I hope somebody else will do it. We cannot pass the buck. We must open our mouth. We must speak up. We must extend a hand and say, I will fight for justice. Because God requires that of us. God requires that of us. We can't stay quiet. Because when we stay quiet, we're going against the heart of God. The last thing is this. Justice is a spiritual act. You see, I lived my life for so long thinking that justice was something that was a result of a spiritual life that I had with God. And one day I woke up and I realized that justice, when I reached out to those in need, whenever I spoke up for those in need, I all of a sudden realized it was part of my spiritual walk. And then one day I read this verse in Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. And I would say this has driven my life more than anything in the world. And it says this, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? You see, the people here were fasting and they were seeking God and they weren't hearing from him and they were complaining. They were saying, God, why don't we hear from you? And he says, that's not the fast that I choose. The fast that I choose is this, to reach out to those in need, to meet those needs. And he goes on further in the passage and he says that when you do this, your light will shine like the noonday sun. Which means he is drawing you closer. I believe this. I believe it draws us so close to him because it is the heart of God. Justice is at the heart of him. So when we're seeking that, when we're doing that with our lives, when we're giving up our stuff for the the sake of others, he draws us to him. Why? Because it's the heart of God. You see, justice is not something we do in addition to It is a spiritual act. It's not a result of what happens in here solely. It is something that will draw us closer to God. We will experience him in ways we never even imagined. Because when we seek out others, when we seek the needs of others, he promises us this, that he'll draw us to him. It's a spiritual act. And so the question is this. A lot of these things and even some religions would go through and say, yeah, 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 you know, I can line up with that. A lot of people that I know that are good people would say, hey, I can get behind most of that. They do it with their lives. A lot of them better than Christians. But the question is this. If we know that it's important, then how are we supposed to be different? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be set apart from the world. And so in this category, how are we to be set apart And I got to admit, I look at my life and I realize that most of the time, it's not any different than the world. And so I believe there's three areas that set us apart when it comes to this. And so the first one that we could, well, so I want to look at this first because I want us to put this in context. And that is, here are some reasons why the world does it. So good public relations, we hear this all the time. We see commercials about it. We see people promote it. Um, we, we, I hear this one all the time. Well, those are, that's done by those organizations. And that's really what the world believes in a lot of times. It's nonprofits, it's churches, it's the government. And none of those are bad things. We, we need the Canby Center. We need places like the Canby Center. The church needs to do things corporately as a whole. But if that is taking place of our personal call to justice, then that's not a good thing. Then we've got this thing where people always say, um, well, I, I turn it on and off. I did my good deed for the year. I can pass till next year, and next year I'll hit it again. Another one is that it's used for political gain and social status. A big one that I believe just runs rampant is this, that it's, a, it's primarily a movement for wealthy people. It's the, it's the rich helping the poor, and that's what justice is. And the Bible is so far from that. It's not the rich helping the poor. And then the last thing is that it's for something in return. We see that in the world, in the, in the area of justice, hoping to get customers or hoping to gain friendships or hoping to do this. And so we believe that that's what justice is all about. And when you read through those, the, the church, unfortunately, looks like that a lot. And so how do we change that? What does God say about it? God had a different view of how that should go. And the first thing that he told us is that our our, our justice, our reaching out to those in need must be driven by love. It must be driven by love. And Matthew 22, 37 through 40, a verse that we've heard over and over if you've attended church for any period of time, and it says this, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On well, these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see, it's when we love God and that, f- that flows out of us. It overflows out of us because of our love for God into the lives of people. And when that's what drives us helping others, then that is the heart of God. And one of the misconceptions that I think we sometimes have in church is that really I'm doing it for a conversion. I'm doing it so this person comes to know Christ. And when that is the drive behind it, it is wrong. When it's driven by love, the result often that happens is they come to know Christ. But I have found that whenever it's driven by my hope and desire is, well, I'm going to help you just because I, I need to tell Christ, and this is the way that I can tell you about Christ. When that's my drive behind it, it's a lot harder because they, don't, they can see through that. People see through that. The world sees through that. But when we're driven by love, God's love, he, it conquers all. When God's love drives us, all of a sudden, that coming to know Christ part takes care of itself. Because people want God's love. And when it's flowing out of us into the lives of others, at that moment in time, God takes care of the rest. The second thing is this. Justice must flow from our faith. It must flow from our faith. It can't flow from some of the things the world says that it needs to flow from. It must flow from our faith. And in James two fourteen through 20, it says this. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says to you, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, before we go any further, realize this. James is not going against what Paul says when he says faith is and God is all that's needed to come to know him. You are saved by faith and faith alone. But as that faith enters our life, as truth from God's word enters our life, James is trying to tell us here that what the result of that faith, of that truth from God's word, that comes out is the works that are shown in our life. And when we are seeking those in need, the most important thing to realize is that it is what God's word says in my heart and flowing out. And the works that come out are not me, but it's God's faith inside of me. And it's important. And, and I want to look at two ways that this plays out. And the first one is alluded to here in this passage. And basically what's happening is that James is talking about somebody coming up to a, a follower of Christ. And says, hey, I'm hungry. I don't have clothes. I need it. And this person basically prays for him and says, God's going to provide, now go in peace and be taken care of. So what I, want, what I have to ask my question, the question I have to ask myself is this, do I believe God has called me to meet the needs of those that are poorly clothed and lacking in food? And i got to go to Scripture. So Scripture tells me this, Matthew 25, 35, and 36, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the king will answer them Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the question is Do I believe that verse? Do I believe that when I'm doing it to one, I'm doing it to God? And if I do, then that act has to come out of my life and I have to live it. I have to be the one that gives. I have to be the one that provides the food. I have to be the one that provides the clothing. Maybe I am not in a position where I can do that, but maybe it's me as the one who grabs them by the hand and says, let's go to the Canby Center or St. Vincent Duval Food Bank or to the church so that they can meet that need. Maybe it's an inviting them over to your family and sitting down at dinner table with you and just sharing the extra food that you have there. But it's when when those verses come into our life, when those scriptures, those truths come in and faith takes hold, then that result must be reaching out. There's a story by George Mueller. And George Mueller was um, a a, a gentleman that started these orphanages. And one of the purposes behind these orphanages was because he saw that only the rich were being able to be um, put into orphanages. And so he started them for anybody um, who needed it. And, uh, and really started a movement in England of orphanages. And the story goes that basically he believed that God wanted to provide um, financially for the needs of those orphans. And that he would never ask for money from anyone but God. And so he would only pray. And he never, they never went without food and clothing. Never. He had every need met. He had people that would just show up and give money. And so there's the first time that this comes under scrutiny for them. They find out that they're running out of money. And he pulls his staff in, and for the first time, he lets them in on how grim really things are. And they start praying that God would provide. And they pray after about a week or so, they've been praying. And this is what is said. It says, later that week, after meeting with his staff for prayer, one of them approached him with 16 shillings, saying, it would not be upright for me to pray if I did not give what I had. You see, the faith had taken hold in his heart. And he had realized, I can pray. I can do that. But God, you brought this need to me so that I could do my part. And for everybody, that looks differently. But the reality of life is that whenever Scripture invades our heart, when God's truth invades our heart, it must flow out into some kind of action. So when God puts that need in front of us, we have to say, okay, what Scripture say? How do I meet this need? And then we do it. The second one is this. Do I believe God is calling us to care for the orphans and the fatherless? And so we read scriptures, we read the Deuteronomy passage earlier, but then Psalm 68.5 tells us this, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God and his holy habitation. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, we read these verses and the reaction must be that that faith, That's ours. That's ours to take hold in our heart, and then we're the ones that are reaching out to the foster foster children. We're the ones that are reaching out and mentoring youth because maybe they don't have those relationships in our life. We're the ones who are going to coach the sports. We're the ones that are working in children and youth ministries, pouring into the lives of the youth. We're the ones that are making sure we're giving respite to the foster care parents that are out there. We're the ones that are adopting those who need a home. Because see, now all of a sudden it becomes personal because we know what God says. He's the father to the fatherless. He's called us to reach out to the orphans. And when that happens, when that take hold, we must allow that to change the way. And we must look and say, what's my part? What can I do? And hear me, not everybody's gonna be a foster parent. Not everybody's going to adopt. But everybody can pour into the life of a youth somehow. And we have them all around us who need that influence, who need a little bit of God in their life. And we can be that. I have a friend of mine, Steve, and him and, his, him and his wife, they got involved in foster care, and I was talking to him about why they got involved in foster care. And he was telling me the story back in the 80s. He was pastoring in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he was in a, in a talk show, radio show debate. And during this debate, it was between somebody who was pro-life, him, and pro-choice, a professor. And they were talking and going back and forth. And he had done this multiple times. And it came to a point in time where they had a 10-minute break and they were talking. And the lady looked at him and she said, You know, Steve, I I really respect your point of view. But I would believe it more if I knew that the children the church is saying shouldn't be aborted and would be given up for adoption or foster care were actually being taken care of by the church. Let that sink in. And so what Steve did is he, he went home and he told his wife, after that was over with, he told his wife, he said, I will not enter into any discussion about abortion again until I am willing to do something about our foster children in, this, in, in America. And for him, that took hold. And he said, you know what? This is what I'm supposed to do. They fostered dozens of kids. um, And just a few years ago, um, after they thought they were done raising kids full time, um, they adopted a four-year-old boy um, named Andrew who's now living in their home because they realized that was the fight that God asked them to have. That was the voice that he was giving them. And it's important. It must enter into our lives in that way. And then the last thing is this. And that is that it's about sharing the gospel. If we want our justice to look differently, then in the end, the gospel has to be at the center of all of it. Now, if you remember at the beginning, I said love has to drive us. But the gospel, we must share the gospel in our justice. And Jesus gives us a great example of this in John 8, 7 through 11. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You see, Jesus, with his actions brought this woman's spiritual condition to the forefront. He first stood beside her. He first stood up for her. He first spoke for her. And then once all of that happened, he came to this point in time where we find him saying, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He was able to speak into her spiritual condition. Why? Because his actions had already shown love. His actions had already put in place everything that he needed in order to be able to do that. And we don't know where this woman came in at. We're not sure if she knew who she was talking to. We don't really know everything about it. But we do know this, that he, she says, no one Lord. So there, there's some kind of acknowledgement that she understood who that was before him. His actions allowed him to speak into her spiritual conditions. And when we reach out to people in need, when we meet the needs of the world around us, and we do it the way God wanted it to, where we have love driving us, and then it flows from our faith, when we do that, we are able to share the gospel. Why? Because they know God's love at that point in time, and they want what they see inside of us. And they realize that, like the Isaiah passage said, our light is bright. It's as bright as the noonday sun. And they're sitting there saying, Why, why are they so different than the world? And then they are able to understand this, and that is that true justice is a life restored to wholeness through Christ Jesus. You see, the other kind of justice, all the other things that they're looking for in their life, they're temporary. It's a temporary fix and more than likely if they live long enough they're going to have more instances of that just like we all do. But when we come to that place where we understand that true justice is wholeness in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone and when we're able to share that with them now all of a sudden social justice no longer looks like the world but it looks like Jesus Christ justice on the cross that he gave for all. And that That is how we separate ourselves and be different than the world. Because, guys, social justice is not going away in the world. Everybody's going to continue to try to do good. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, God, what role do I play? And help me make sure that it's driven by love, flowing from my faith in you, and that I'm able to share the gospel with those that I'm reaching out to. Because when we do that, God's kingdom is changed His kingdom in heaven gets to come to earth, and we get to see lives changed for eternity. God, we love you, and we thank you that you have asked us to join you in this fight. We ask you that you have asked us to join you in standing up for those that are in need around us. And God, may we allow your scriptures, your words, to enter our hearts. God, if there's anyone today that does not know you, that maybe has been trying to do the the worldly thing, but doesn't understand where it all comes from. God, I pray that today your love would enter them, that they would realize today was the day of salvation for them. Today's the day they can call on your name and be saved. And God, thank you that that justice, that that form of justice that is pure and true all the time is what drives us. And we praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. Why don't you stay up here with me? April, you didn't know I was going to do this. Why don't you come on up here, too? Tim and April are a gift to Annette and I and friendship. And, and uh, we have just really grown to love them and their family. And they're a gift to this church. They're a gift to our community. And what I want to do is I, I just want to pray over them. And, and listen, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, what do I do? Where do I go? Uh, you, can, you can talk to them. And it's that step that my faith is not complete according to Scripture until I really step out and start to serve. I put that into action. And we have an opportunity in this community to put that into action. And my heart's convicted. I want to put my faith into action where it is loving people around me, loving my community around me. And those people that God sends my way, those people that are in our community that that we may not even see—they're the people that we don't even look for sometimes. Those are the people that I know that God cares for and loves, and He uses us to do that. So, would you stand with me, and would you extend your hands forward? And we're gonna we're gonna pray in closing. Tim, thank you for your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you, F- Father. We just thank you for the call that you've placed on. Tim and April, it comes at a cost on the kids, on the family. There is a cost, uh, but we know that you make up the difference. That you you do something, Lord Jesus, that is just incredible and supernatural and and joyful in our lives because we're being obedient to you. We're following you, and there's no greater satisfaction than to obey the call that you placed on us. And so, Lord, first of all, I thank you for the call that you placed on Tim and April. But it's the call that you placed on. All of us. It may not be fulfilled in the same way, but it is a call. That is the gospel. The gospel of social justice that we've understood and defined by Scripture today. And, Lord, it is the good news. And you said that. You declared that from the inauguration of your, your, your ministry. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to bring good news to the poor. Lord, that is what you've called us to do. All of us together, let it sink in. And let us go beyond these four walls and touch a community. Keep your hand on this family. Provide for them. Protect them. Keep them. And, Lord, provide for Canby Center through us. We don't want it to just be someone else's job or responsibility. It is ours. And, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen.